Hello, and welcome to the Living Word Pensacola podcast. Here you will find teaching from our weekly services where we focus on developing a Christ-centered life. We are delighted you have chosen to spend time with us today, and we know today's message has the power to help you grow with your faith journey. So, let's turn our hearts and our minds to God's Word as we begin today's episode. Good morning. Welcome to Living Word Pensacola. We're excited you guys choice, chose to come visit us today. And uh, we're going to spend some time in the Word this morning. Very excited. It's been a very interesting week. I've had um, more time on my hands. I've been home more uh, just because of uh, taking the week off for vacation and whatnot. But every time, uh, every time I'd get up and start spending time in the Word, I was telling Tiffany this. It just seemed like God was just showing me so much. I kept going back to him going, I don't want you, what you want me to say on Sunday. Everywhere I looked, he just wants to reveal himself. He wants to show himself. If you will take the time to get in your Word every day, he will open your eyes to things in the Bible that will change your life, that will change the very day that you're walking through. And he's just wanting to pour himself out, make himself known. And it's just... It's so, it's so obvious to me. I wish it was obvious to everyone, but God just really wants to talk to his people. He wants to talk to you. He wants to have a relationship with you. If you will just silence the world for a bit, 10 minutes in the morning, just turn off the video games, turn off the, the distractions, turn off your phone, you know? I make it a challenge for you guys to not pull up your phone first thing in the morning. I, I'm, I, it's joked about a lot in TV shows, and you hear people talking about that. You know, they've they've gotten rid of alarm clocks. There's, I, I wonder, they'll probably do a study. They do a study on everything, right? Right? They're probably a governmental study financed by our taxpayer dollars to do a study on how many people don't use alarm clocks but use their cell phone as an alarm clock. They study everything. I'm amazed. They're like, you find a study on this and study on that, but the amount of people. I think it's spiritual. They want you to pick up that phone and plug into the world before you even say good morning to Jesus. And it's, it's amazing to me how many people that's their reflex reaction. I want to go onto social media before I check in with God's media. I want to look at what the world is doing before I tune into Jesus. I challenge you to put that aside. That the first thing you think about in the morning and the last thing you think about before you go to bed, set your mind on him. I guarantee your sleep will get better. Your rest will be better. When your mind is set on him, it brings peace into your, to your house. It's so much better. But there's, there's so much that God has to share. Um, and there's so many layers to what God has to share. I want to start this week with an Old Testament scripture, Ezekiel 1.16. Now, this is, this is one scripture in an entire segment. Oh, and for those that are new, so, or those that maybe didn't, but there are, I call them notes. There's a list of scriptures on a piece of paper on the table over there, and those are all the scriptures I'm going to use today. And the reason I do that is so you can go home and you can pull out your Bible, and you can, up, you can read those scriptures based on today's message. And uh, like I was telling Mr. Jeff last week, we had a great message teaching on submission. And if you missed last week's message, guess what? You can listen to it now. We officially started our podcast. You can go online and listen. Last week's message is the very first one on there. I thought, what a great way to launch a church podcast, but a message on submission. Yeah, they were just timing on that was perfect. <laughs> 
But we taught on the misconception of submission, how so many people have a, a wrong viewpoint of what that is, and the world has twisted people's idea of submission into something you're forced into instead of a wonderful decision that you get to make with God. But you can go online, just go into any podcast form that you look at, look up Living Word Pensacola. We're the only one out there. So you can go pull it up, and then this week's message will be on there too. But every Sunday, we're going to start putting our messages out there, and it'll be really good. Is that you blinking and making noise? Hey, you're good. You're good. I was just like, am I hearing something? It's just in my head. Okay. But Ezekiel 1.16 in the Old Testament says, The appearance of wheels and their workings was like the color of barrel, and all had the same likeness. And the appearance of their workings was, as it were, a wheel in the middle of a wheel. Now, this is a, this is a New Testament uh, or this is an Old Testament prophecy of Ezekiel seeing what was the form of God. And it talked about how it had different heads and it had different wheels and it had wings on the wheels. It's an interesting description, but this is the Ezekiel prophecy. But the thing I wanted to really point out is this. One of the, and this is right in the middle of a grand prophecy. I don't have time to go in and, and teach all of the prophecy in Ezekiel. Maybe one of these days we'll get to that. But the one part of it I want to pull out and show to you is the wheel within a wheel. Because this is a picture of God. This is him trying to describe what he saw um, in man's terms of what was going on. But the wheel, he said, is as if a wheel was moving on the inside and another wheel and another wheel and there's layers. Everything God does in the world, everything God, when God moves and takes an action, it's not just one thing. God moves in layers. And you'll find that when you study the scriptures. I couldn't tell you the number of times I've read a scripture and gone back and read it again and saw something completely different, right? Because the Bible is alive, a living, it is a living word of God. And revelation is based on your growth, right? So if I show something to my wonderful son, right? But then I show it to a son who's older and grown more. He's going to see something different based on his age. You, as you grow in Christ and grow as a believer, you will understand depths of the words that you might not have seen before right? Because it's based on your spiritual growth. And this happened to me as well. Recently, I've been going back and listening some some older teachings from, from about 2014. And it was a study that our pastor did. And I was going back and listened to it going, I never heard this when he taught it. And, you know, and I was a grown person when he taught it. I was a pastor having already graduated from Bible school listening to this and now listening to it. And I'm seeing something completely different because the, the word of God is alive and living, right? So there's times where you need to say, God, is there something more I want to see from this? That's the wheel with in the wheel. So when I refer the wheel within the wheel, it's this, there's layers of what God is doing in this world. And we don't always see them all. There's things that, that God will move and we'll see something. And there's so many more things happening that we don't even understand and can't even see because we're not God, right? Say, I'm not God. All right. Come on now. Everybody's awake this morning. So I want to talk about this morning, what's on God's heart, because it's, it's like, he just continually, as I'm praying and spending time with him, this is something he's very much focused on. We are in the last days. We are in the end times, right? And there's several ways that you can look at this. A couple weeks ago, I listened to a few messages and I was thinking about end times. And you can go the way of being anxious. It can make you anxious. Like, I just have so much I want to do. I, I want to have grandkids. I want to see my kids grow up. I want to see, you know, I want to see the church grow. We just started this church, God, you know, and it's looking like we're coming in the end times and you can get anxiety and you can lean towards anxiety in this of thinking there's so much more that I want to do. You know, God, I don't know when you're coming back, you know, could be tomorrow, could be 10 years from now. But you can lean that way of anxiety or you can lean into the way of God saying there's so much yet to be done. 
There's so many people that I run across on a daily basis. Now, the last two days, Mom and I went out shopping for most of the afternoons on both days, and there are people everywhere. We went to the mall the day after Thanksgiving. I don't know what we were thinking. I'm not sure what was going through our head at the time, but there were a lot of people in the mall, a lot of people. And I went, holy cow, I wonder, and I just kept thinking. I could not get away from it. I wonder if everybody here knows Jesus. I wonder if he came back tomorrow, if they'd go to heaven. And it was burning on the inside. I could not walk away from it. Couldn't walk away from it. God was saying, we have to tell people about me. We have to tell people about Jesus. The price was paid. The price was paid. He cares about them that much that he died on the cross for them. We have to tell people that salvation message is what's on his heart right now. He is crying out for people to just know about him. He's crying out for his church to wake up and to declare the message. There's too many Christians out there that are into Christianity for what it brings them, not what they can do for him. And it's backwards. We have a church that is all about consumption and not enough about production, about what God wants us to do. We're supposed to be his hands and feet. We're supposed to be his spokespeople in this world. We're his representatives. We're his ambassadors. And yet we go to church and we're focused on what does God have for me? And it's so backwards from what the New Testament teaches us. Yes, God wants you to have good things. He wants you to be prosperous. He wants you to be healed. He wants you to have revelation. But those are all results of doing what? being a servant. That's what Jesus did. He said, I came to serve. I came to be a servant. You get the blessings by doing what God asks you to do, not I go after the blessings and if I have time, I'll do what God wants me to do. It's a backwards teaching of things in this world because this world is so full of selfishness. That's what everybody in this world is teaching is have it your way, get what you want. If you don't, be a Karen and ask for the manager, (laughs) right? Because that's what this world is teaching. You throw a fit. I mean, in the service industry, if I throw enough of fit, maybe they'll just give me my food for free. And some people made that their philosophy just to get free food because that's what this world is consumed with. Now, we've read this a lot. We know the devil comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I've come to bring you life and life more abundantly, right? That's what it says in John 10, 10, which is the next scripture. The thief comes not except to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that you have life and life more abundantly. But just like the wheel within the wheel, this, this verse itself actually means several different things. And yes, it means the devil comes to steal, kill, and destroy. That's his whole purpose is to destroy you and take you out. But the context of this scripture was actually talking about something completely different. So let's jump back a little bit. Let's look at the whole scripture in context. John 10, 1. Most assuredly, I say unto you, He who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs up some other way, the same is as a thief and a robber. So what is this talking about? Who doesn't enter the sheepfold by the door? Okay, well, let's keep reading. Verse two, he who enters by the door is a shepherd of the sheep. Did you know that God called you to be a shepherd of the sheep? He's called you to disciple others. He's called you to take care of his flock. And it's not necessarily referenced the pastoral office, but each of us is called to help other people grow, right? Just because Jesse is the dad of the son doesn't mean he's the pastor of the congregation. There's layers of leadership in the body of Christ, okay? Now, verse three, to him the doorkeeper opens and the sheep hear his voice and he calls to his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he brings out his own sheep and goes before them and the sheep follow him, they know his voice. Yet they by no means will follow a stranger, but will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. Okay? Others 
in this world will find salvation, provision, healing, and blessing by you knowing the door. Do you know the door? And Jesus tells you in verse 7, I am the door. He's the way, right? What does it say in John 14, 6? Jesus said to them, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me, right? He is the door. So if Jesus is the door and we're the shepherd and we're supposed to watch out for his sheep, there's a layer of responsibility that we need to know the door. How do we get his sheep into where there's protection? By knowing the door. And we take them through the blood of Jesus, right? Through him being the door into the protection of being in the shepherd. That's what he's talking about, right? Now, it says in verse eight, all whoever came before me are thieves and robbers. What do you mean came before me? Those that tried to get into the kingdom without going through the door. Because he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. If anybody else tells you that you can get into heaven without the blood of Jesus, they're a liar. They're a thief and a robber. If he says, by, if I go out and do enough good works, if I go down to the, to the soup line and I'm serving out food on Thanksgiving and, I, and then I go out and I give all my money to the poor and I help take care of all these things and then I'm gonna get into heaven, they're wrong. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. The thief does not come but to steal, kill, and destroy. People that tell you that you can go to God without the blood of Jesus are the thief that are coming to try to ruin your ability or in your, they're coming to steal, kill, and destroy. But I've come to bring you life and life more abundantly. In other words, when you introduce someone to Jesus and you show them the door into the sheepfold, you are showing them life and life more abundantly. You are bringing them life and life more abundantly. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he'll be saved and he will go in and out and find pasture. Go in and out and find pasture. We need Jesus for ourselves to get us in and out and find pasture. What it's talking about, and there's a, there's a whole other layer of this teaching as well, which we won't go heavily into, do, into today, but what he's talking about is as a Christian, we are not currently in heaven, right? But that is our ultimate pasture. This is another bigger picture of this. We are supposed to, as Christians on this earth, in our prayer life and time with Jesus, have access, go into the pasture of heaven and bring that into this world. That's what our prayer life does. That's what our faith does. Faith reaches into the heavenly realm, those things that are unseen, and brings them into what is seen. That's what Hebrews 11 is talking about. By faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. We are supposed to believe by faith for heaven's way to be on earth. That's what he's teaching us. Now, what, what we need to understand here is, is that price of salvation, that going in and out to find freedom is something that is not just for us. What I wanna look at in our whole teaching today is you have to get beyond what Christ and Christianity is for you and realize that you need to learn it so that you can lead in it and teach it. Everything that you learn and get freedom and salvation in for you is for you to help somebody else get freedom and salvation in that exact same area right? But if I don't know how to, Aiden works at Panda, for those that didn't know, if I don't know how to go into Panda and cook the orange chicken, right, they're going to end up with the raw orange chicken out front serving to people, maybe people sick. But someone who does know how to do it can then show me how to do it so that there's not residual effects. If you don't have freedom in something in your life, you cannot help somebody else get freedom in that either, 
right? That's the principle. Even people in, in the basics of like Alcoholics Anonymous understand this. When I'm walking out freedom, now it's not I'm completely set free, right? Because there are sponsors in AA, right? I have a level of freedom beyond yours and I'm gonna help you get to where I'm at as I'm still growing. But just because you don't have the complete oneness, which none of us will have until we get to heaven, in our walk with salvation doesn't mean you can't help somebody else. But in the areas where you do have freedom, you now have a responsibility to take that freedom and give it to someone else. We're too inwardly focused. We have to start looking at this world and going, there are people that are hurting and dying and they need the freedom that I've already experienced and I need to gain more freedom to help produce more freedom into this world because he wants to bring it through you. He wants to bring it through you. Now, we go in and out to find freedom and to lead in it. Life without Jesus is an emptiness. There's an emptiness to it, okay? Without Christ... People choose to fill this emptiness with things of this world, right? There are so many distractions, so many distractions, some of them more detrimental than others, right? Um, Alcohol, drugs, all this other stuff. And some people say, well, because I control the empty void filler and that empty void filler doesn't destroy my entire life, then it's okay. Right? I can control my drinking. I can control this. You know, I just smoke a joint every now and then or whatever they're doing. Whatever this emptiness is, all they're doing is trying to find something to fill the emptiness that's on the inside when they don't understand that they were made to be one with Christ. He made them. He made all of us. And he made us to have a relationship with him. And that is the only thing that will fill that hole and that void in their life. That's the only thing. That's the only thing. We have to stay full of him. And as a Christian, that fullness is something that comes from that continual relationship, right? In my marriage, it's not something where, okay, we got married, right? That, that hole is now filled, and now I'm never gonna talk to my wife again. Yeah, try that and see how well it works, right? No, this is a growing relationship that gets stronger every day now 20 some years later that we've been married and there's fruit that's produced from this relationship just like there's fruit that's produced with your relationship with God, right? There's evidence of your time with him just like there's evidence of time with the people that are around you, right? There's evidence that I spend time with my kids when all of a sudden I'm saying, bruh, right? Or what I say the other day and you guys are like, oh, dad, oh, I said mid. That's so mid. And they're like, oh, dad just said mid. I'm like, okay, well, did I use it correctly? Yes, I used it correctly. All right, we're good, right? But there's evidence of hanging out with somebody else because that's how it's supposed to be. That's how God made us, right? We are rubbing off on one another. That's why church is so important. We need to come together as a body of believers to encourage each other, to lift each other up, to have a word. We are supposed to do that for each other, Not just come to church, focus on what is for me, but come to church thinking I want to help somebody else, even if they're already a Christian in the body of Christ, right? This place would not be the same if there was a piece missing. And there are currently pieces missing. We have a lot of empty chairs of people that not only need Christ and need what the the body has to offer, but they also have something to bring, okay? So you are called for freedom in your life for yourself, and to bring to other people. Matthew 10, verse one. And when Jesus had called his 12 disciples into him, he gave them the power over unclean spirits to cast them out, to heal all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease. That word power means authority and jurisdiction, okay? He gave them the, he gave them the right to cast things out that pull people away from him. 
sickness, disease, spirits. These are all things that will keep people from the presence of God, keep people from having the relationship with him. Why do you think when Jesus came to this world, he went around healing the sick, right? Because when you're not feeling good, it keeps you from God. It keeps you from a lot of things. It makes you, I don't even want to think. I just want to lay in bed and sleep, right? It keeps you from doing anything. He came down to heal the sick, to show them that God has a perfect life for you, a life of healing, a life of blessing, if you want, if you'll just press into him. But see, in this world, we, we choose to try to fill voids in our life. Now, in Matthew chapter 10, let's go on to verse five. These 12, Jesus sent out and commanded them saying, okay, so what is he doing? We, we realize in verse one, he called them, he gave them authority, and he sent them out, Right? Now we're still in the same chapter, just a few verses later. These 12 Jesus sent out and commanded them saying this, do not go in the way of the Gentiles and don't go into the city of Samaritans, but rather go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. That is representative of the body of Christ. The lost sheep of the house of Israel. In other words, he is sending them specifically to the house of Israel or to the body of Christ. So we can translate that into today's words, people that know Jesus that are maybe not going to church. How many of you know somebody that was a Christian and doesn't go to church anymore? They've been hurt. That's it's so many people out there, right? Or they went to church and a person hurt them and they blame God because of an imperfect person. It happens a lot. Now, in, in verse seven, it says, as you go, so we're sent to the body of people that are supposed to be out there, not only those that are supposed to be in the body of Christ, but those that were and have left the body of Christ. As you go, preach saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out demons, freely you have received, freely give. Now, we're going to dissect this first just a little bit, okay? It says, as you go, preach the kingdom of heaven is at hand. God is coming back soon. It should be something we think about all the time. Jesus' return is imminent. I mean, by what we see in the world right now, wars and rumors of wars, the battle with Israel is biblical and scriptural. It's been prophesied from years past. We should really be paying attention to the signs of the time and realize his return is imminent, right? We're about to see probably in our generation things that people have been praying for and thinking about for years. But he said, preach the kingdom of heaven is at hand. We need to be telling people, you need to get right with God. You need to come back to him because time is running short. That's what people ultimately think, right? I'll always have time. I'll always have time. But you know, in my years of being a pastor and talking to people that are older and that realize their life is coming to an end, like whether they got sick or they just are getting old enough and their health is not, and they know, right? If you talk to an older person that realizes I'm down to the last few days and you have a conversation with them, never once have I heard them say, if I just made more money, if I just worked more, right? If I just traveled more, almost 99% of the time, it's if I would have done different with my family, if I would have a closer relationship with people, if I would have spent more time with my kids. It's all about the relationships they have, not the money that they earned. People start to recognize the value in relationships when they realize the end is nigh. There's a reason that God said you need to say Jesus is coming back because it makes you prioritize and value different things in your life over other things that guess what, working the extra shift is not as important as telling somebody about Jesus. We get our priorities off. We get so consumed with the, with the humdrum of this world and trying to produce and survive that we forget it's not the most important thing. 
Yes, you need to pay your bills. Yes, it's good to have a roof over your head. Yes, the Bible says a man who, who works gets to eat. And you don't work, you don't eat. I believe in those scriptural principles. But that doesn't mean they're more important than the fact that we should be telling people about Jesus. Now, also says, heal the sick, which is the, if in the, in the Strong's Concordance, is the powerless or the poor. Then it says, cleanse the lepers. And the lepers, it says, are those with holes or missing pieces. Then it says, raise the dead, those that have given up on God. Are, they're dead in themselves, right? When they've walked away from God, they're spiritually dead. Cast out demons. Those are wrong thinkings, wrong motives, things that are pulling us in the wrong direction. Freely you have received authority and power. Freely give out what God has given you. So it's time to trade in our leprosy for being complete in him, right? It's time, to, it's time to trade in our leprosy. We all are walking around with holes in our life. What is that leprosy? That, that is something that is wrong, that is eating away. Literal leprosy, the actual disease, is, there, it leaves cavities and holes in your, it eats away at your body, literally leaving big voids and holes. And it's extremely contagious. Sin is contagious. Sin eats away at who you are as a person and leaves holes and voids in your life that can only be filled by God. In Matthew 10, 9, it says, provide neither gold nor silver nor copper in your money belts, nor bag for your journey, nor tunics, nor sandals, nor staffs, for a worker is worthy of his food. Why does he describe all of these things? Because he's basically listing all of the holes that people are carrying around in their life. And the number one hole that most people are trying to fill the wrong way is their money bag. Copper or silver, it's money. Money is the biggest thing in this world that pulls people away from God. The love of money, the pursuit of wealth, thinking that if I were only rich, it would solve all my problems. Now, I cannot find anywhere in the New Testament where God says you shouldn't have money, right? Or you shouldn't earn money to be you know, a productive person of society. Money in itself is not bad. It's the value that you place on the money. What did God do with gold? He said, that is beautiful pavement. Right? What does man do with gold? We make it higher in our life than even people. I will step, that's what the world says. You go out and get a job in, down, in today's day and age, it's I'm going to put this person down to get me higher to earn more. It's a value of money over people. And it's backwards from what the kingdom teaches. Our money and our true wealth, what is the most important thing to God? People. What is his highest treasure? What does he say is his highest treasure? People. Not money, not things, not objects. People. So what if every time we're in the New Testament and we read a scripture on blessing or being blessed or having enough, instead of thinking about money, we put people in there. Bring all your tithes, which is money, into the storehouse and prove me now herewith if I will not open up the windows of heaven and give you more people. Give you more people. Isn't that the true blessing anyway? Is the ability to help more people go closer to Christ? And ultimately, you get more people in a church, you got more tithes coming in the church, and what can the church do? 
invest their money, put it in big storehouses, and be happy that they've got thousands and millions of dollars. No, it's not what a church does. Church takes the money to get more people because that's what we're called to do. But our focus is on the wrong thing. But for some reason, the devil has convinced so many people that this hole of money can only be filled with money. And it's so wrong. Money in itself is not bad. Church needs money. It takes money to rent this building, to turn on the electricity, right? That's we bring our tithes into the storehouse so that there might be meat in my house. What is meat sustenance? So that we can sustain what's going on so that God can open the windows of heaven and send us more people because that's what's important to him. That's what's important to him, right? What about in the New Testament when he gave one, one talent and one five talents? And one ten talents. Let's look at it completely different. He gave one one person. He gave someone else five people. He gave someone else ten people. And the one with one buried his person and did not help him grow, but hit him in the ground and came back and said, I still have the one person you gave me. And he said, wicked servant. Because they took their five people and got five more people. He took their ten people and got ten more people. Because what's important to God? People. People. When we walk through the mall and I see what looks like sheep, you feel like you're being herded cattle sometimes, you know? And I just see all of these people are important to God. Do they know him? I mean, I was sitting there overwhelmed as God was talking to me, Tiffany's picking out scents and Bath and Body Works, and I'm like, I can't go into that store. I get a headache after a while. There's just so much smell, you know? It's like going to a pure perfume store. It's just overwhelming at times. So I'm gonna sit out in the middle and just watch the treasure of God walk in droves and this is what he's focused on it's people you know the aramaic meaning is not talking about money but rather going it says um um don't last it says put away silver and gold is actually talking about the accumulation of money focusing on the wrong prosperity message you know you're eventually going to hit an area of your life that you don't have enough money for God, God doesn't say, I want you to produce the kingdom because you have enough money to produce that kingdom. He's saying, I want you to produce the kingdom because that's the most important thing out there. And when you focus on that, the money's just gonna come, right? What does it say? He teaches us how to pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He's teaching us when we focus on him and put him first, he'll provide the money. That's an afterthought. He doesn't even think about it. He doesn't think about what it takes to produce it. He says, produce it. Because all of this, what we focus too much on, on how it takes to get it, he just says, get it done. Hebrews 12.1 says, therefore, since we are, oh, I'm, I jumped, I'm sorry. <laughs> the second thing, we talked about the gold or silver in your money belts. And it says, nor a bag for your journey. So this is a, let's just call it a suitcase, modern vernacular, right? It says don't take a suitcase. Forget about your money belt. Don't take your suitcase. Why? Because we as people tend to hold on to too many things. How many know a hoarder in your life? Somebody that you walk in their house and go, you've got too much stuff. Mom and I saw this yesterday. We were at the store in the mall. We pulled into a parking spot, and there was a car in front of us that had enough room for the driver to sit in the driver's seat, and that's it. That rest of that car was full. You couldn't see through the windows. There was stuff. There was, I mean, it was full, and you're like, my goodness. And it was like a newer-looking car. It wasn't an old jalopy. It was like a newer-looking car. It was full of stuff. Why does he say you leave your suitcase behind? 
because we hold on to too much stuff. When I was a kid, this person told me I couldn't sing, so I'm just not going to worship for God. What are you doing? Holding on to baggage. The sin that so easily besets us. We tend to hold on to our past a little too, too tightly. We tend to hold on to hurts and pains, problems, baggage. We've got too much baggage. God says, leave it behind. You're not going to be able to accomplish the journey that I've called you to if you're going to hold on to the past. And you're going to hold on to this stuff. That's the suitcase. You know, as much as we hold on to our failures, right, of all the things that we did wrong, we're also not supposed to hold on to our successes either. Right? Right? Chicago Cubs won a World Series. So they're going to be the best forever. Are they? No. Right? Or that team that won a Super Bowl back in 1974 and is going to hold on to the fact that they won a Super Bowl all them years ago. And just as much as you hold on to your failures, <laughs> holding on to your successes can hold you back just as much. You did something, it was successful. Let go of the suitcase. Right? How many times have you talked to somebody that lives in the glory days of when they were the star of the football team in high school? And you're like, yeah, but you're working at McDonald's, so how did that being a star in high school help you now? But they're living in the glory days, right? Hebrews 12, 1, therefore we also, since we are surrounded by a so great a cloud of witnesses, lay us, lay us, say us, sorry, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which easily ensnares us. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. You know, he distinguishes between weights and sins. Things that we did wrong and other things that weren't necessarily wrong but are still holding us back. Still holding us back. So look at it. Let's go one layer deeper. Who's the cloud of witnesses, right? Since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, this is Hebrews 12.1, which tells me it comes right after Hebrews 11. What's Hebrews 11? That's the faith chapter. By faith, Noah. By faith, Abraham. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. He spends a whole chapter talking about the heroes of faith. But what does he say at the very end of Hebrews 11, 39? And all of these, having obtained a good testimony through faith, did not receive the promise. Did you know there were things that those faith men of Abraham who believed God for many nations but yet wasn't alive long enough to see it all come to pass. Everything God promised him is all the way to us. And he didn't even live. There are things that God wants to promise you, wants to produce through your life that you won't even be alive long enough to see it all come to pass. And yet we're so, con so concerned with right now. So concerned with right now. We have all of these people that are watching us because it was their faith that produced in our life that's still producing to this day. The faith of Abraham is still reigning in the church right now. We have to think beyond us and beyond our life and saying, I want to produce things from God that ripple through generations. I want to have faith in my life that is so strong that it goes into my grandchildren, my great-grandchildren, my great-great-grandchildren, that there are people down the lines and lineage that talk about faith that was produced, just like Brother Hagin, right? We're supposed to have a, a production of faith that is way beyond us. But we can't do that when we're too busy holding on to the past, holding on to the failures, holding on to the things that went wrong, 
or the things that went right. Now it also says, it says, leave behind your tunics, the two tunics, which is, you know, clothes. There's another hole filler. Why is clothes a hole filler? Well, you know what? All right, we're going to be completely honest, right? You're all ready for completely honest? I'm going to tuck my shirts in. You notice that? I like to wear untucked shirts. Why? Well, when I tuck my shirts in, you can see how big my belly is. Now, you might think, Pastor Paul, that's just being silly, but guess what? What does that tell me? There's still a little bit of hole of vanity going on inside of me that I need to work on. Also, I need to get healthier and lose some weight. My own kids have been telling me that. Lord, send them my own children to convict me. It's a fine. It's nothing wrong with it. It's all good. But what do we do? We see imperfections in ourselves and try to cover it. Try to find the right clothing, right? I know we're all been that way. How many been in the store just going, nothing just looks right? It just doesn't look right. I've been that way. I know a lot of ladies that way. Try on a thousand different things, right? I got nothing to wear. You got a whole closet full of clothes. I got nothing to wear. I got nothing that covers the shame or the things that I'm dealing with in my life that I just wish were different. How many times do we do that? You know what he's saying? He's saying it's not important. Lay it aside. Be real. Guess what? I'm not a perfect Christian. I'm not a perfect Christian. I'm growing in Christ just like everybody's growing in Christ. I have a different level of accountability being a pastor, but I'm growing in Christ like everyone's growing in Christ. There needs to be someone out there that says, you know, well, if they can grow in faith and make it visible to everyone else and not cover up that growth of faith, but just show the finished product, then maybe I can do it too, right? I mean, Aiden's showing pictures of losing 65 pounds. The, the guy that was at the competition that lost a bunch, that has the big following, the cowboy hat guy. Yeah, he lost like 200 pounds or whatever, right? And he's using that vulnerability, complete vulnerability, you know, because is he ripped and all this? No, he's got wrinkles and all this, you know, skin and stuff that he's dealing with. He's showing the vulnerability of the process. There are times in our walk with God we need to show the vulnerability of our process. We need to show that. You too can grow in Christ like I'm growing in Christ. But that's what that clothing is. But guess what we're supposed to be clothed in? What does the Bible say we're supposed to be clothed in? Righteousness. That robe of righteousness, which means complete right standing with God. Where I've repented of my sins, he's put his robe of righteousness on me and said, I've made you perfect. Isaiah 61.10, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness as a bridegroom decks himself with ornaments and as a bride adorns herself with jewels. Let go of the fake attempts at trying to look like a Christian and let God robe you with righteousness. Let him say I've made you perfect as you are humble and you have repented before him. The other thing it says is your sandals, which hits a little close to home because I like shoes. I like my dudes. I've got a variety of dudes, right? Aiden likes shoes. He's got a whole rack of shoes. But why are shoes so important? Because our feet take us where we go, right? But when we give up control of our shoes to God, it's we're going where he's sending us to go, not where we want to go. It's not about our will. It's about his will. Where does God want me to be, not where am I at because I chose to go there? No one can tell me what to do, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> but the right shoes 
can make your walk easier or harder, right? I went out, got me a pair of Brooks walking shoes, and at the end of the day, my legs don't hurt as much, right? But mom and I decide we're going to go shopping. What does dad do? Well, I put on my dudes and shorts, and I go off and go shopping. Well, I get home last night, <laughs> my legs are burning. I'm like, I am not wearing the right shoes to do as much walking as I did today. But I look good. How many people are that way? they rather look good than be concerned about the longevity of their race. Ephesians 6.15, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Our shoes become a picture of the good news that we're walking out as we experience this continual peace in our life. Are your feet shod with peace? Are you bringing peace everywhere you go? Does the peace of God reign in your life? We have to choose to walk in his plan. And at the end of this whole thing, he says in Matthew 10, 14, if anyone doesn't listen to you and rejects your message, this is right after talking about leave all this behind and go tell them about Jesus. But if they don't listen to you and they reject your message, when you leave that town or state, shake off the dust of your feet, right? As a prophetic act that you will not take all of that garbage with you. It doesn't say start a protest Tell them how everybody's wrong. It doesn't say, tell them that they're going to hell and, and, and scream at them and yell at them. It doesn't say any of that stuff. It just says, shake it off. Don't carry it with you. Don't, elect, don't let it affect your walk with Christ. Just shake it off and move on. That's what it's telling us. The last thing that it says is talking about your staff. Now, the staff that it says to take with you is a representation of authority. A shepherd's staff was a representation of authority in the flock. That staff that you carry is your authority in Christ. But the problem with this world is, is they have misplaced authority. They think authority is based off how much money I have. What, you know, how many followers I have on YouTube. They see authority wrong. When he says your authority comes from him, right? Usually this comes out of a place of hurt. People that have been hurt and are trying to get through that hurt will try to exercise some authority saying you can't hurt me anymore. Self-defense mechanism. I'm going to protect myself, right? Luke's in, in Luke 10, 19, it says, I've given you all authority. I've, he's given us his authority. Trample over serpents and over all the power of the enemy and by no means shall anything hurt you. Authority was given to us because we were sent into the harvest. Authority was given for us to be sent. Why, was, why did God give you authority? Because you're sent. You're supposed to do something with it, right? An ambassador of the United States is not given authority to stay at home. He's given authority to go into a different country and to carry the authority and the backing of the United States as a representative, but also means that they can't just move to that country, live in the embassy, and be who they want to be, right? Because they're a representative of the nation that, that sent them. You're a representat representative of the kingdom of heaven, which means you need to act like you're in the kingdom of heaven. You need to represent, which means you don't get to choose what you wear. You don't get to choose the shoes that are on your feet, right? He's telling us right here, lay all this stuff aside and do things like I've told you to do of the kingdom of heaven. You're representative of him. And then your authority will come. Christians wonder why they have no authority in their salvation is because God says, I give authority to those that are using it for what I told them to use it for. You have authority because you're being chose to be used by him.
because he gives authority to those that are sent. Are you doing what God asked you to do? Are you going where he sent you to go? Why? I mean, in Luke 10, 19, I give you all authority. But jump all the way back to Luke chapter 2. He said to them, the harvest is truly great, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send laborers into his harvest. Go your way, behold, I send you out as lambs among wolves. Carry neither money bag. Well, saying it here again. It's in Luke, just like it is over there. And get, carry neither money bag, knapsack, sandals, greet one along along the Lord. Our spiritual authority is not for us, but to set other people free. He's given you authority so that you can set people free. What are you using his authority for? But we have to understand our relationship with him. In Matthew 10, 19, and we're jumping back to this original scripture all the way down to verse 19. When they arrest you, guess what? You're going to be sent into this world, and they're not going to like what you have to say. They're going to try to imprison you in what? In the world system. They're going to try to put you back and say, nope, you have to be confined because that does not fit with the pattern of what we're trying to teach people right now. For when they arrest you, don't worry about how you speak or what you say. The Holy Spirit will give you at the very moment words to speak. It won't be you speaking, but the Spirit of your Father speaking repeatedly through you. There's going to be times in this world where you're wondering how you can share God's love. You're wondering how you can witness to somebody, and you end up in a situation where you feel like, oh, man, I've been put in jail. Uh, They've boxed me in, right? Have you noticed that about certain agendas? Certain things in this world when it comes to gender or identity, all this other stuff, you try to bring truth in the situation and they start screaming at you. They get vocal, they get loud, they get aggressive. What are they trying to do? They're trying to put you in a jail to confine what's going on. And what does God say? Don't worry about being put in the situation that looks perilous. I'm gonna give you the words to say that bring freedom to the whole area. We have to go into these situations knowing that he's going to give us the words to say that bring freedom to everything that's going on. That's what he's showing us here. Because in Acts 17, 28, in him we live and move and have our being. We have to be in him. Those are the whole scriptures that we have printed out and sitting over there. Are you in Christ? If you're going into this world and taking his, him with you, you have to know who you are in him. If you're a representative of a country, you have to know that country. You have to know what the leaders of that country want you to produce while you're out representing the country. It's the same principle. It's the same principle. So I challenge you today with this. What are the holes that you're filling with wrong things? What are the areas of your life that need to be filled with more of Jesus and not with problems in the past, successes in the past, focus on too much money, trying to cover up things in your life instead of deal with them? Because that's what clothes do, right? I'm gonna cover this up instead of dealing with their actual problem. What's something in your life that you've been covering up instead of taking to the cross? giving it to Jesus, allowing him to do a work in you, allowing him to change what's in your life. Father, I thank you for this morning. Father, I thank you for the opportunity to come together and worship you. Father, we pause to give you place. Father, I thank you right now that you're speaking to every person that's in here and that you are showing them the hole they need to work on this week whether it's the pursuit of money, letting go of a past mistake, letting go of a past success, choosing to go in their own way instead of where you're sending them. Father, whatever it is, I thank you that you're speaking to their heart right now, that you're opening their eyes to see a spiritual truth and revelation in areas of their life they've never seen before. 
Father, this church is called to be a light in the darkness, to tell people that Jesus loves them. Jesus paid the ultimate price. He died on the cross for our sins. He shed his blood. That blood was the price paid for us. That's the value you saw in us. Father, thank you for helping us grow in you, for helping us fill the holes in our life with you and not with things in this world that do not fix, do not repair, do not restore. But Father, you came to bring life and life more abundantly, life to its abundance, to its fullness. Father, open our eyes to see so that we can help others gain victory in those areas too. Father, help us think beyond ourselves, think beyond us to the people that you are crying out for. You're the voice that's crying out right now saying, I've paid the price. Don't choose eternal separation from me. Don't choose hell. Choose life. Choose life. Father, help us cry that out from every, every pore of our body, Father. Choose life. Choose life. Thank you, Father, for giving us the words to say as we go off into this world. And thank you for that healing power, Father, to heal the holes in our life. In Jesus' name. Hi, this is Pastor Paul, and I wanted to thank you personally for joining us today. Now, if you enjoyed today's podcast, there are a few things you can do that will help us out. Hit the subscribe button and rate and review our podcasts. If you would like to invest in helping us reach more people for Christ, head over to livingwordpensacola.com and click on the online giving button. Thanks again for joining us today. Now go out and tell somebody about the love of Jesus.